keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Go listen to the outro if you want to connect and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wildly, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast that I hope inspires you all to follow your deepest desires. Our guest today is a 34-year-old cis male. He's a gamester, Black American, partnered and ethically non-monogamous, and is heterosexual but not close-minded. He's really into hedonistic play and exploration, a professional creative who reframes the way we see bodies and sexuality, a man after my own heart. Welcome, Sky Wind. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Me too. Can you start off by telling our listeners, on a scale of 1 to 10, if this were your shame-a-meter, and 10 is the most full of shame, and 1 is not so shamey at all, where do you fall today? Today? Oh, wow. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Does it change sometimes, and why and when? For me, my shame-meter definitely changes. I work in a lot of sensitive spaces, and I'm in a lot of sensitive spaces, so depending on whether my opinion matters or not definitely changes the way I feel as far as, like, what I'm dealing with is shame. As far as, like, when dealing with partners or sensitive situations in my interpersonal life, whether I did something right or wrong, definitely I'm extremely hard on myself. So if I know I did something wrong, my shame either goes through the roof. Like, I don't need the talking to. Yeah. I'm having the talking to in my head. I'm a moody person, so it definitely fluctuates with what's going on in my life, or how my mood is, who I'm dealing with. And can you give us a little overview of what your sex life is like right now and what your favorite part or parts are? My sex life right now is really interesting. I'm partnered, so just dealing with everyday life can take a toll on it because we work long hours when we work, and that definitely gives us tips. But it's also really fun because I get to work in these sex positive and body positive spaces and I get to hang out in these spaces so I get to see like the wildest shit and facilitate some of that. I get to poke people into having that type of fun. So I think with my life, it's a little unconventional because in my personal time, you know, I do it and deal with the normal shit that everyone else deals with. But also I get to really try super far out stuff that wouldn't be normal to my friends that I grew up around and I get to say it's work. I get to say it's my life and I really love that. Amazing. Is there a far out thing you have tried recently that you want to tell us about? Recently tried electroplug for the first time. I was at a conference that I've done for the last four years called Sex Down South. Nice. And in the evening time, they have a dungeon. So in the dungeon, it's sort of like after they teach you dungeon manners, you can kind of go and there are people over here getting flogged. There are people over here in cages. And there was a massage table and someone who did an electro play workshop had all their tools and gadgets and things. And I immediately heard the thing cut on and was like, we're going over there. <laughs> and I was like somewhere between a puppy and a child watching them do electro play on someone like nose almost in the scene and was super excited you know my partner was actually like pulling me back like hey you know like, it's like I, I need to see what's going on it's dark in here but ended up getting on the table and getting a whole electro scene done and that was really interesting oh that's amazing i just have to ask were there any very sensitive parts that got electro played on head to toe including your genitals Yes. They asked me if they could actually try it on my penis. And I was like, sure. And it was, I mean, it was cool. It's not something I would do every day, but yeah. definitely is one of the things like, oh, it's once every couple of months and I'm in this room. <laughs> totally. 
Let's try. Love it. Oh, I'm on the same page there. Okay. Can you tell us what does the word sexy mean to you or what's your personal definition of it? Sexy is an attitude for me. It's not necessarily a body style. It's more like the way you respond. When we talk about like sex and seduction, for me, it's play. It's being able to play with whatever the situation is and make it fun. You know, for me, fun is sexy. Sexy is also like intention, how you intend to make someone feel or how you intend to feel in the moment is what's sexy for me. And then can you tell us what happens to your shame meter when it's time to talk to your partner or a new partner about safer sex? And how would that ideal conversation go? When it's talking about like safer sex or safer play, I think for a lot of my partners, I would say I was the more experienced person. So they were typically someone who would feel more abrasive or nervous about something and making them feel like, yo, this is okay. Like, I'm not going to judge you. This is fun for us. This isn't me having a conversation with everybody on the block or at work. You know, that's the first thing people go to. Oh my God, somebody's going to find out. And it's like, no, we're here having fun. This is about us. Are you having a good time? Because I'm going to make sure I have a good time. And then I think those reservations typically pass very quickly. On the other hand, you know, there's also a little bit of, you know, maybe not today. Maybe I need to prep for that. Maybe I'm not ready for that. But it's a conversation that we're having. Beautiful. Yes. Yes to the conversations. You know, I love that. Okay. So now can you take us back to your early years and tell us when do you first remember hearing about sex and what messages or feelings did you get as you were learning about it? For me, sex has probably always been a part of my life. My mom was a teen mom and we had military grandparents. Mm -hmm. So I was already sort of aware of certain things as far as like what familial relationships were. But when you talk about like, you know, music and movies and the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, sex was blatant. We pretend like social media now is just this whole crazy thing. But I'm like, come on, if you really go back and listen to like a Color Me Bad record or, you know, you watch a TV show and it was like there were very clear cut lines, even if you didn't see everything that happened. There were yeah. very clear lines of like, this is sex. It's sex time. This is how you act when you're trying to get to it. You know, there were you know, I can remember that very vividly. And mimicking those things. I mean, being a media kid, being really consumed with that type of stuff, I was always aware of it. And I actually walked in on a family member with their partner once and was kind of like, how old were you? I was maybe four. Okay. So, I mean, I had these moments where you you walk in on something and then you get told to get out of here and, you know, exploring your body in the tub, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was always very aware of sex in some form or fashion, whether I knew where the parts went and what was supposed to happen is a different conversation that maybe happened later. Okay. When I say, you know, fifth, sixth grade, that's definitely when things turned up as far as actually being the beginnings of sexual interaction is what I'll say is, is what you start to see in that point. Okay. And just to understand the details of your young mind, Was there a feeling of curiosity around it? Was there a feeling of taboo or fear? Or what messages do you remember feeling into in those early moments? So first off, there was definitely curiosity. Being in the South, there definitely wasn't a talk. There were things that you like, this is grown folk stuff. Okay. This is, don't say this, you don't do this. It comes like profanity or certain things, you know. 
there's just certain things that you you hear the hard line. You're like, oh, I can't do that. Or I can't do that with adults around. Right. <laughs> you know, I had those types of moments for sure. For me, it didn't necessarily equate to shame. It just related to more so this is what the culture is. I definitely was a kid that in all things I questioned and all things I was curious. So I could see the hypocrisies and some stuff, mm. whether I could actually verbalize it that way or it was received that way from a small child different conversation. Okay. But that was something that was, I never felt shame about personally. It was just, you knew there were moments that this wasn't something I'm supposed to be doing right now. So it sounds like you learned how to have privacy and perhaps even secrecy, but not with shame, just like you learned that there are spaces for certain things and feelings and explorations, perhaps? Right. That's exactly right. I knew that I was maybe too young to be doing what I was doing in the moment, but Mm. wanting to certain things was, you know, natural. So it was like for everything, it was like, you'll have your time. And maybe now is not your time, but being a curious kid, now is my time. I'm going to try it. (laughs) I won't say I was into masturbation. That's something that came to me more as an adult. I was comfortable with my body. I definitely was exploring my penis as a little kid. I found it. I knew what it did. I was very independent as a kid in that way. How did you go from these early curiosities and explorations into actually exploring your own body? And how, if at all, did that correlate to any learnings you did in school, whether it was from a teacher or your peers? So it was definitely more peer learning. I'll say that. And we definitely had like a reproductive sex situation in school. Uh Uh-huh. As far as like relationships and pleasure and that kind of stuff, that was never truly a conversation. That was everything that I got from movies and music and all of that stuff. Probably my early teachings would be like, you know, being on the bus and the older kids being in the back of the bus and me eventually being one of those older kids on the back of the bus, knowing we had 30 minutes, an hour before we got home. And you kind of, you know, play truth or dare and diddle this and touch that and that kind of thing. Definitely through music and dance. Like I said, we had school dances, we had parties and that kind of stuff. So just by dance culture, you're shaking and popping and grinding and you want to be Usher, you want to be Michael Jackson, all those types of things where it's like you want to get the girl, you want to be popular, you want to do all the stuff. So, you know, those types of things as far as like knowing you wanted to be popular with the opposite sex, you know, having kindergarten and early quote unquote girlfriends, you're not doing anything, but you know. Just having those like attractions was very natural and normal to me. As things like cable and satellite become available and, you know, the channels that are fuzzy come in and you can see a little bit of porn. And (laughs) I didn't have that. I grew up without cable or satellite. Like we still don't have it here at the ranch. And so I don't know what you're talking about. It was definitely a moment on cable. You could like go through and there would be certain channels that would just come through fuzzy and you would get a little bit of. Signal crossing. Is this scramble porn? Sort of, yeah. Okay, somebody porn. told me about scramble porn. Okay, okay. So basically, the way radio and video signals work is they go from a satellite to another satellite when certain signals, like when you go town to town, you were listening to a station that was in your city, and then you just go into another town and you can hear the stations changing. So what was happening through early satellite and early cable was like signals were very close and you could get cross transmissions. So you would see a little bit of, or... (laughs) So what did the cross-transmissions lead you to? 
it was a conversation that turns into, you know, these three way phone conversations on your phone with your friends and talking about sex and just wanting to feel like you were able to get to that play, even if it wasn't quite accessible yet. So it definitely opened up a lot more sexual conversations with me, my peers, classmates, my friends. My curiosity of sex education started with that type of stuff. I mean, my mother was a therapist, physical therapist. So I grew up with medical books and that type of stuff in the house. So it's not like I was lacking for anatomy conversation per se. Mm-hmm. Even if I have the conversation explicitly, it was like there was always something laying around that I could go find the medical version of this. But the play side of it was dictated by media and then kids' conversations entirely. So what about your exploration of your own physical body and how did that set you up to either start exploring with partners if it did? My exploration mostly started with me dancing. Okay. Things like truth or dare and hide and go get it. And these little goofy games that you play when you want to play, but you don't know what to actually do. It was always more so me exploring with other people. Okay. So your early explorations were with others, not so much solo explorations? Not so much solo. Okay. The solo was more like me studying. It was more like me finding porn and finding photos. And it was almost like I was researching what to do. Okay. But you weren't masturbating or anything? I didn't find masturbation fun or interesting. Do you still feel that way? No, that's what I'm saying. That that didn't change me until I was like almost an adult entirely. I was from this thought of like, oh, if you have a girlfriend or you have a partner, then they'll do that with you. You don't do that by yourself particularly. Okay. So I was always on the hunt for a little girlfriend or always had a little girlfriend or something like that. You know, we were massaging this conversation one way or another, whether it was, you know, psychological, you know, in the AIM messenger days and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the chat rooms. You know, I was in all those types of spaces having those types of conversations, but it wasn't actually like masturbative play for me. Okay. I get the sense that lots of people in the South are religious. Was that a factor in the masturbation lessons that you received? Or what's kind of your awareness around that? For me, that wasn't the case. It wasn't? Okay. Your personal education, it sounds like you were exploring a lot with young girlfriends mostly. Is that right? Yeah. What did you discover about yourself, about partners, about what you liked in that time? And then how did that shape you on your way toward adulthood? I very much realized I liked to play. I was more interested in actual sexual play than I necessarily was doing my thing or getting off. Definitely realized very early because I wasn't the only one having sexual experiences. So things like learning not to kiss and tell, that secrecy was definitely something that I learned very early. Wanting to play and try things and please partners was something that I definitely learned early. Because I realized that if they feel good about it, they'll want to do it again. Yeah. One of the things that I didn't learn early and took me a little bit of maturity to grow into was like, what people say isn't necessarily what they mean. Or even if they say they're ready, doesn't mean that they actually are. Yeah. I struggle with that today because you want to trust someone's agency, but you also have to read the animal body. And that's not always easy for everyone. Right. But uh, I mean, imagine being a kid and, you know, space and opportunity isn't necessarily always available. And yeah, you and I have been talking, dating, whatever, for weeks, months. And we're like, OK, when we get the shot, we're going to get the shot. And then you get to the shot and then you're like, well, we talked about this and they're uncomfortable. Yeah. And then that translated is you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Because 
told someone that they felt uncomfortable and you pushed. And there, you know, there were these moments where it was like not understanding autonomy and consent. Yeah. In a way that is not really taught in our culture. It was a, a big thing that I had to really learn and learn by fire and trial and error. And I think that's what a lot of male body people is like we're taught we're supposed to do certain things and certain things are cues for us to do other things and then when it doesn't play out that way there is a very violent backlash to young boys as to get something very 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 wrong and there was a huge disconnect as to how and why when i felt like i'd had these conversations prior yeah yeah I think societally, we seem to be struggling right now with an ability to allow people to change their minds in general in all spaces. And what I'm hearing from you is sort of like the ability to receive someone's changed mind and then also the ability to like pivot in the moment and then also the ability to just like be a person with desire that was like operating with a certain set of instructions and then having to just like learn from all of that. And it's I think what we're in the process of unpacking by having these conversations. So what did you learn? Do you want to give us like highlights or like things you learned from that were tough and things you loved? Like what was formative in those early teen years for you? Definitely that. First off, you know, protection was definitely a thing. We were coming off of the AIDS era. We were coming off of sort of that dare drug culture. You know, don't do drugs, don't do this, don't do that. There were a lot of don'ts totally. in the conversation. But then again, in our music and our parties and our hangouts, there were a lot of dudes like this is what you do when you get here. You know, navigating when things were OK and how things were OK was definitely a process. And I grew up in a very black environment. So when I moved into a space very shortly after I turned 18 and it was what we call mixed company mm-hmm. and, and people from not just my little area, but from all over the country learning language is very, very different. What I mean by something when I say it versus what you mean as someone from where you're from versus someone from Iowa or Rochester, totally different language. Yeah. Totally different language. So understanding that there were just barriers in what we thought we were saying to each other and the amount of grace that there was with those types of conversations. And that's just speaking English. That's not even going to Spanish. Yeah. Or- Yeah. Do you have any specific memories from that time that illustrate that feeling? Yes. I was working somewhere and I had recently, within weeks, turned 18 and went to this pace. I was basically a dumb kid who liked to play and liked to have fun. So I was in this space. A number of like harassment suits had come against me and didn't know this prior. I just find out because I get a call and I got to go to HR and I'm like, what the fuck? I'm very thankful that the person in HR, she dismissed my manager or, you know, told me to leave and sat with me very candidly asked me, or I would given somebody a hug or something. And it very candidly was like, do you hug everybody? I was like, yeah, like I grew up, like you give people a handshake and a hug, you know, dapping some hug, you know, yeah. that's just like kind of what we did. I didn't realize that these things had made other people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. This was a really hard conversation. This was the first time I had this conversation with someone because it was the first time I'd been in this type of space. Yeah. So she was like, you know, if you are a cute little white boy, you wouldn't be in my office right now. But because you're not and because we're here, you are. So I can tell just by your demeanor that you weren't intentionally trying to make these people feel uncomfortable, but that's what that plays out to. So 
that environment isn't a safe environment for you anymore. We're going to move you over here to this place. And thankfully, I was able to stay and complete the process. But it was one of those moments where it was like, oh, I have to really be aware of what I say and how I respond to people. Just because my intention is one thing doesn't mean that's how it's received. And even if I'm not being threatened or threatening or overly provocative in any type of way, just because someone wants to say that or feel that way, that's not saying that their feelings aren't valid, but there also could be a level of prejudice or malice or ill intent on their part. I had to learn very quickly, like, I have to reassess how I view relationships because I was just a happy kid that like, oh, I go anywhere, I make friends. And it was something that was a huge eye opener for me. And I'm glad I had it at that moment and not 25. Totally. I was going to say that's a big 18 year old learning. How did it affect your sexual self? It definitely made me more aware of what I hear other people say about American culture and being black in not black spaces made me very aware that actions have consequences. So don't take things lightly. Be more aware of your surroundings. And it's something I, I wasn't. I wasn't very aware of my surroundings. So it sounds like you went from this environment where even if it was more of a let's kiss and don't tell in your high school years to a young adulthood where you had to navigate a whole different set of rules. Can you tell us about some of those experiences? And then at this point, had you, as they say, rounded all the bases yet? Or how, how far had you explored with partners in high school? I definitely rounded all the bases uh, several times over. Probably. Is there anything notable from that era that we should know about or learn about that formed you before we move on? Because it was my first time away from home and because I grew up in the South. So like, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina was probably, the, you know, other than like a class trip was the farthest I'd ever gone. So uh -huh. some of these other states were like exotic to me. And I was like, oh, New York? Oh, I want to try somebody from New York. Oh, I want to try somebody from California. You know, there was... <laughs> uh -huh. so, you know, for me, it was exciting because I felt like some of these places I would never go. It'd be cool to like have an interaction from someone there. So, you know, that was the thing for sure. Okay. So it sounds like you're incredibly adaptable. And it also sounds like you have this like fierce delight in play. And we know from your intro that you're very hedonistic. Can you sort of fill in some of the gaps of the things that you've enjoyed sexually, like from formative experiences to now? Like, give us specifics of tangible, like, how do you like to play? What have you discovered? We have electroplay as a tangible experience. What else? So I would say because they weren't like safe places for me to play growing up, definitely didn't have the parents that were like, oh, bring people to the house. Like, yeah. that was the thing. So the way that's translated into my adult life, you know, as a kid, you know, it was like buses and band rooms and, you know, dugout, like anywhere you could sneak to go play was the thing. So now in my adult life, that's definitely turned into like, I love and I'm very open to playing in public spaces. And I've had a lot of those experiences all over clubs, rooftops bathrooms at people's jobs. Are these places that people could walk in on or are they like secure, private enough? Like what's your level of risk tolerance? Oh, it's been real high. I've been in parks and been caught. I've been in church parking lots. Any and everywhere. There's, there was nowhere that's kind of off limits. So you've been caught multiple times? Yeah. So not long after that experience I just told you about, you know, I come back home and I'm, you know, back in school and college. I had a girlfriend... It would be like 1820, 1821 kind of deal. We were behind the building of a grocery store and we were actively having sex. And a police car pulls up behind us 
we're flipping our shit because we're like, oh god, we're going to jail. The cop, the lights are on, but he doesn't get out of the car for like five minutes, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, we put our clothes back on. We're like breathing heavy. We're sitting in the seats, like praying to God. The officer finally like walks up to the car and knocks on the window and is like, "Hey, what are y'all? What are y'all doing here?" And we're like, um, <laughs> talking about you know the car was shaking when he got there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got your license? You know, he's on the passenger side. You normally he comes to the driver's side. He's on the passenger side with me. He takes both of our licenses and looks and oh, you like him older, huh? I'm like sweating. So you know, y'all don't have nowhere else to chalk to go to play. Well, no, you know, my parents got I got little sister and brother at the house. Like you know, I can't play there, and she lives way on the other side of town. So you know, it's not gonna work out that way. We just thought we could have a little fun and go home. Oh well. We actually patrol these areas because we're looking for people up to no good. I mean, not not what you guys were doing up to no good, but, you know, burglary and stuff. You know, next time you guys need to find somewhere else to go. And he gives us our IDs back. And we're like, oh, my God. What the- <laughs> we'll just have He pulls out and drives off. But it was one of those moments where it was like, I was terrified. It was hilarious because he's laughing at us the whole time. You know, he's trying to hold his laugh and be serious. Yeah, yeah. But he's laughing at us the whole time. He got to watch a show in the back of the parking lot, you know. <laughs> so here's my question. Did that shut it down or did that turn you on and you went and found a new location? <laughs> For that night, it shut it down. We okay. Go back to that location. We, we found other places. To go. Okay. Okay. But yeah, no, I've, I've definitely been caught a couple times. I'm never shameful about being caught. I have to say, you're so calm about it. I have such a deep anxiety about, because I'm such a rule follower. I'm such a good little yo you know like i really like to follow rules i really hate breaking rules just because i don't know maybe my military upbringing had that effect on me i don't know so how about you tell us what has been going on in your sex life can you give us more specifics about just like what are your favorite parts about sex as you understand it right now and maybe we can get details on masturbation or being gone down on or going down on partners or just all the array of things that you love tell us uh wherever you want to start so for me in this juncture in life, I mean, I, I masturbate pretty regularly. I have like a, I guess, a, I wouldn't call it a morning routine, but pretty much a, a morning routine. 96% of the time I wake up with an erection. Or even if I didn't wake up with the erection, by the time I realize I'm awake, if I don't have to go anywhere, it, I'm going to be erect. So I typically have like morning sessions with myself. It's not necessarily for ejaculation, just because... Sometimes I woke up with a thought. Sometimes there are some things that I was already working out in my head, whether it's an idea or a product or a fantasy play that I want to do. Yeah. And I'm like, so if I do this and that, oh yeah, that's working. That's the thing. Yeah, that's a great idea. So it's literally a creativity session. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. That's so cool. Other times it's like, oh yeah, I know that that person is interesting. If I could get them in this situation with us over here, this would be great, you know. And it's like playing out how maybe a threesome looks, or maybe an event looks, or something like that. So it's like the fantasy of what I would want to happen. Sometimes it's just plain old like I'm in the mood for. I just want my partner to sit on my face and bribe my face till I don't have one. And I lose it for that, you know. So for me, the intention of the session, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not like the candle lighter. I got to make time and space for it. But 
the intention of the session definitely just goes with my mood, being a movie artist. Beautiful. And I let myself enjoy it for what it is at the moment. I want to ask you two questions based off of this answer. The first one is, I think, straightforward. Uh, face-sitting, you mentioned face-sitting. Is that something that you have participated in and enjoy? Yes. yes. It's a book. Okay. And then fantasy-wise, it sounds like you have a really rich fantasy world. Was it always the case? Has that always created fantasies for you? Or was that something that developed later? Because like, I didn't start fantasizing until I had a partner that kind of like taught me by example, I think. So I was always an artist. I was only a child until I was 11. Okay. So Fantasy World started with me and my toys, watching Power Rangers or Ninja Turtles. You know, I was the kid that like was setting plot. The bad guys were always over here doing something first. The good guys were always over here doing something first. There was always a catalyst that brought them together, even in that type of play. So from my mind, I was always making some type of script or TV show or something when that eventually translated to my sexual play, and again, I can take this back to like the AIM messengers and that type of stuff, it was always the curiosity of sure what I liked, but what other people were into and what I could get them to tell me about what they were into. I was like, oh, do you like such and such? Really? Tell me, you know, and I got into that. So it was like being able to like get that type of information out of someone was a part of my sexual play. Amazing. Translating that into partners, I probably didn't move into like that fantasy type play until, you know, I was a little more sophisticated. You know, I was probably in my 20s at that point. You know, in that it was just learning to explore my body because I was always the explorer, but it was never really comfortable initially for someone to explore me. So I knew like getting head you know, it was cool. Like, oh, yeah, you want to get hit for sure. Yeah. But anything further than that was like, okay, you know, I, you're kissing all over stuff and, you know, nipple sucking and toe sucking or ass play. Like, all that stuff was like totally out of bounds. Mm. That sounds really hard for a hedonist. Yes and no. I mean, in the parameters of what was normal for a heterosexual male, it was like, yeah, okay, we can go fucking the forest. Cool. Yeah. Not even the forest, the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is cool. It's just a totally different experience. It was a totally different experience. So it was like, I knew that I was always interested in trying something that was more than what was normal for what were people around me. Yeah. But it wasn't until like my 20s, you know, and I remember having like a partner in college that was like, oh, you always do stuff to me, but you never let me do stuff to you. I remember her saying that. And that's more of a now retrospect moment than it was then. I didn't understand what that necessarily meant then. Does it feel accurate? Does it feel like you weren't letting them do stuff to you? Or was it you just didn't know how to facilitate that? Because I think I'm still learning that. I think sort of both. Okay. And when I say when I say I'm learning that, I'm learning how to take a more active role as a partner, as a sexual partner. Like feeling like I have permission to explore a body. Because I think I'm like you in that I've had such a like giant desire, but I don't know how to express it personally and I'm still learning that now and so I would always sort of just take what was actually available and then I didn't know how to communicate the explorations which it sounds like you are better at or got better at not like in a comparative way but in a something you learned to practice yeah it took time again social sigma said that certain things were okay and certain things weren't so just in regards to like boundaries there were just certain things that I had to get over in in my mental space of what was okay for 
a man to do and not do. Like butt stuff or something else? I mean, butt stuff is definitely still a very taboo topic in male circles. Mm. But I mean, it could be something simple as like, sure, we can make out and kiss. Sure, she might kiss my ear or my neck a little bit or something like that. But again, like going up and down the body or wanting to suck your toes or be the dominant person in the situation mm. and being more the submissive person in the situation weren't things that was like fully acceptable initially. And it took a little bit of like learning and massaging and becoming more comfortable with a partner to feel vulnerable enough to let allow them to do that. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was, is I think, having positive experiences with it made it okay to try it again and like it. Yeah. I definitely remember having a partner who I was with maybe for a year or so. And then she had mentioned that she'd always wanted to try like sucking toes and eating ass, you know, but never had a partner that was like comfortable, okay with it. And I was like, first off, that was like, when you hear like the, the, the big gulp, like, you know, from the cartoon, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of those moments, like, oh my God, what did she do? But I was a very, very attractive person. And I was like, well, shit, anybody's gonna try it and if anybody ever hears about it i can back at least say look at this motherfucker you let him <laughs> you know there's a couple of those out of you like well shit i, 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 I mean wouldn't. whatever gives anyone permission i am for so i mean definitely having that moment was like Ugh. and then it being a positive experience was like wasn't as strange as i thought it would be <laughs> yeah we're not going to do this every day. Yeah, but you just yeah. try that again Friday. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like those type of moments. Where, yeah. You know, but yeah, it, it took that sort of like massaging to get through it initially. And then it probably took maybe five, six years ago before I really like found myself popping the can open and just really just like, no, let's try this. Let's do that. Let's do this. Okay. And from there, it's just been like whatever feels comfortable and what feels right for us in the moment is what I'm ready to go with. What led to the can popping open, if anything? A series of strange events. Through college, I chose to take a photography class. It was a studio photography class. For one of those projects, my models didn't show up, mm-hmm. and I ended up having to pose myself. So I've done the same self-portrait situation. Yeah. And that put me in a space where I had to look at bodies different, but it made me a lot more sensitive to people in front of the camera. And it wasn't until I posed nude that I felt the extreme emotions of what it feels like to be in front of the camera. I mean, you get that sort of on stage. You get that sort of like, you know, singing and performing and stuff. But it's very different when you know that someone is capturing you in a vulnerable moment and all the emotions of how do I look? Do I, is this big enough? Or is this being photographed in a way that makes me feel and look good about myself? Yeah. Having that moment was an eye-opener for me. And then there's this moment where the veil broke and you start seeing all this, like, fashion nude stuff. Now I'm not the weird guy that's shooting nude or the weird, you know, young guy that's shooting nudes. There's lane for it that's not just porn and, and this and that. Mm-hmm. This rabbit hole kept leading me to spaces where some of the first articles or magazines I got to do were like, you know, women's sexual magazines. And even though my work wasn't sexual at the time, because I was like anti-sex in my work, mm-hmm. it put me in spaces where people were having the conversation 
about sexuality. I actually got to do a product ad for a toy company for that magazine, and they sent me like glass pieces. Yes. Shit, and I'm like, I gotta figure out who I'm gonna ship these with. Yes. <laughs> and how to make this look cool and artsy, and not just like some regular shit. Totally. So like having those moments breadcrumb me down this rabbit hole to eventually do the sex conference and had no idea what I was actually. Yeah. What was the topic of the panel? Desire Mapping with Jamie Grant, who's an amazing sex educator. And it was at this conference, Sex Down South. So I get on this panel and literally they go down the line and it's, you know, first the facilitator, you know, Jamie, and she's saying, I'm a 25 year expert in the field and I deal with trauma victims and blah, blah, blah. And the next person, hey, I'm the co-owner of this conference and I'm a sex educator and I'm the blah, 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 blah. And third person, I'm the LGBTQ representative and I deal with the Asian community and blah, 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 blah. And then the fifth person, I'm a therapist, psychologist and coach and I deal with blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, fuck am I here? <laughs> what could I possibly have to say that these people don't know in spades? Mm. And what it ended up bringing to me was because I worked in media, most people felt like they didn't feel they could do something. Whether it was be photographed nude, whether it was be perceived as sexy, they didn't fit the right body type. There was, there was all these things that people dealt with. And from all of these little photo shoot experiences I had, I seemed to be the perfect fit for this conversation. Didn't know how. But through this five-hour workshop that I'm mysteriously on the panel for, people started to really resonate with what I was saying. And it was helping people. Because, you know, hearing that, yo, that shot that you saw took an army of people to make. It really normalized things for some people and gave them this opportunity to like, feel like they weren't the only one that was uncomfortable with their body. Okay. And for me, it put me in a space where I was like, okay, as comfortable as I thought I was in my body... And I know because I do my little photo reality checks here and there, whenever I pose new, it's my reality check. It's me remembering how sensitive it is and how important it is for me to shoot with someone and for them to give me agency over their image. Mm. Even though I had these little reality checks in myself, I had never had that in my sexual space. I had never had to question how I felt about myself sexually. I had never had to question, sure, I can say, oh, my body type is this. I wish I was a little more that or whatever. But I hadn't dealt with some of these insecurities that I, I saw other people coming here to confront. Mm. And it was very eye-opening for me to be in the space. It was very humbling for me to be in the space. And then I had three more days of this conference that I'm shooting, but I'm also getting to sit in workshops and listen and deconstruct some of the things that I didn't realize were things for me. Like what? Not really understanding gender. Like, sure, I understood gender roles to a sense of boys do this, girls do that. But how that correlates to sexual play and power dynamics. Sure, I experienced kink in my personal life. We can do a little handcuffs, we can do a little spanking, but actually being in a space where this is the X, Y, Z, ABCs of how do you do this properly, this safely? How do you talk about consent? How do you talk about relationship mismatches? I never had language for a lot of that stuff. So being in that space gave me this opportunity to like learn what I didn't know 
So you went to a sex convention and then your sex life popped open? The can of your sex life popped open? <laughs> My sex life was very avid already. Yeah. What popped open was I had language for polyamory. That's what I was going to ask about. Yeah. When did you start identifying or deciding that ethical non-monogamy was something you wanted to explore? It wasn't fully a conscious decision. Hmm. I was at this crossroads in my career where I was making success. Without down my resume, you would say, oh, wow, you're doing big things. This mm -hmm. is great. But in actuality, I wasn't fully satisfied because I didn't feel like I was getting maybe the recognition or the creative aspects of my life weren't really being highlighted. It was more about my technical labor. Hmm. And I was on this moment where I was like, yo, you know what? I'm going to fucking go overseas and teach English and use that as a way to like get out of this for a little while. In the process of that, I became a very open, very serial dater. And in a moment, I ended up with three partners that were honestly just great women. Where were you? I was still here in Atlanta. Oh, you're still? Oh, it was before you left. So that just the mindset shift caused an openness inside of you. Yeah, so I was just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm out here dating, I'm out here doing my thing. And then, you know, what ended up happening was I started meeting people, whether it was just in normal real life spaces or online, but I was having these like great connections. Awesome. And next thing I know, I had like three partners that were like regular partners and didn't have language at that moment for what was happening. Didn't expect to start growing emotional bonds with all of these people. Yeah. I definitely fucked up in a, in a lot of space of, you know, this because I didn't know what to say. First, it was not saying anything. And then it was, you know, I told this person and they felt the way. And then I told this person and they were cool. And I didn't say anything to this person because they had a lot going on and I was going to, like, throw them off or I felt like I was protecting them and blah, blah, blah. So, like, just by trying to navigate these relationships and do right by all of these people, but failing in the process i had to really quickly start trying to learn language and start to try to shift what that conversation was i didn't end up managing all those relationships to the end and you know things happened in my life where i'm not with them now but in that moment it taught me that like yes i have the capacity to love multiple people or appreciate multiple people with that conference and with other conversations i had i learned that i could like do that Ethically, it didn't have to just be like the cheating culture that yeah. I was brought into and that there were a myriad of relationship styles that exist. You just have to be more upfront, being conscious of like what, what your emotional state was. Yeah. So what has your non-monogamous sex life looked like? Was interesting. So that time period started between, I say, like the end of 2017. So about 2019 is okay. kind of how that shook. I ended up with one partner after that. Through circumstance, they were injured. I became a caretaker for them. So it was one starting to try to have like sincere conversations about what I wanted and how I saw like a long term or if I was going to be in a long term situation, what that would look like. It also became more interesting because they were very open to trying things. And then the pandemic hit and I was very excited to not go outside. Yeah. Okay. So what did that yield for you inside? A few things. So it allowed me to really focus on what I wanted. It also gave me the space 
to develop a product that one I felt like was going to help me, but also help a lot of other people. So a lot of my energy and intention went to developing that product and developing the workshops. It's helped me reset my life in a way that as I build forward, I'll be able to do more of the things that I want with the people that I want. Am I correct in my assumption that this product is sex related and maybe you want to tell us details? So I made a game. It's called Hedonism and Debauchery. It's an adult card game that helps with conversations around consent, sexual play, and all forms of pleasure and kink. And I made it because, I mean, as you listen, I've had all these rich experiences and the things that I really learned, listening to people and having people in my life that were in one form or another actually assaulted or, you know, dealt with things like that. I realized that there was not really a product that helped people with that conversation. People want to play, they want to interact, but they don't necessarily know how to, and they definitely don't know how to safely. So I wanted to make a product that helped with that conversation and help people in different spaces in our life. I developed it in 2018. And the basics, this is what the, the deck looks like now. Awesome. I started the idea in, in 2018. And it was literally just like, you know, post-it note type cards that I like written little prompts on. And I kept in my house and would like, you know, someone would come over to play, be like, oh, you know, or a new partner would come over. I'd be like, oh, pick a card and see what we get. Ooh, yeah. And so when COVID hit, it really gave me the opportunity to like spend time on it and to really polish the product. My point for it was to, one, give myself a space that, hey, I can pull out this deck and we can see what's fun. But also for people that, you know, are looking for how to have that conversation, whether they're introverted, whether they don't know the social cues or whatever. There were a lot of people that wanted this type of product. So I wanted to make it to make sexual play safer for everyone. How does it work? You pull a card and it has a suggestion or should we do one? Is it, do you have an open deck? Yeah. So I always start with these two cards. The two most important cards in my deck are the consent card, which reads, we encourage enthusiastic consent. Consent means permission for something to happen or an agreement to do something. In other words, yes, okay, absolutely, or more please. We also have a stop pineapples card in and this says this card can be used by anyone at any time if they feel unwanted pressure or uncomfortable in an unhealthy way. Mm. Okay. So I leave these cards out and handy so everyone can see them. Mm -hmm. Everyone can know that they have the opportunity to consent or say, maybe I'm not ready for that. Right. Mm. The rest of the deck, other than the instructions, the rest of this is a ball of fire. And a lot of these are either based off of my personal experiences or situations that I thought were funny or interesting or things like that. But there are, I'll say four different types of cues in this deck. There are what I call social challenges, which are my equivalent of what we would consider dares. There are questions that may be for you or for someone else. Don't know until you pull it. There are also scenarios that have fill in the blanks. So at the beginning of the game, you can choose to pick a person, place, and thing and fill those blanks in. Okay. Or in a space where you're feeling froggy, say we're playing with each other yeah, and we just want to see where things go. We can put ourselves in these blanks and then choose the place and the thing and figure out what happens. Love. We tell the story based off the scenario. Okay. okay? Then if it's not, the game isn't wild enough for you, there are actual wild cards that are blanking the deck. 
that gives people the opportunity to think of something wild, something that you maybe wouldn't have asked or maybe would have thought was too spicy for another situation. Not even spicy, just sometimes it's weird or whatever, right? But now that you have the opportunity to consider say no, it takes the pressure off you asking because you don't have to feel like you're weird or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to rapid fire you questions we haven't gotten to yet. When do you feel most in touch with your sexual body? In the morning. What's a place on your body that's not genitals that is like one of your favorite, most sensual places or a couple if you have them? My scalp. Ooh. Do you like like fingers through your hair or like grabbing? I love a scalp massage. Oh, nice. A real in there scalp massage. Mm -hmm. I'm like putty. What are a couple of your biggest turn-ons? Some of my biggest turn-ons would probably be confidence, like confident in whatever you're doing and being able to take direction. I think it's sexy being shameless in what you like. So if it's like, you like that? And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other turn-offs besides unconfidence? Smells, for Mm -hmm. sure. I'm very smell sensitive. If I don't like your smell, it's definitely not going to work. Ego is a big turn-off for me. Being rude. Like, some people like to be degraded. Like, I don't like degrading at all. Yeah. I don't even like to be the degrader, really. For me, it's like, even if I'm talking dirty to you or calling you, you know, names, it's still going to be like, you're my little pet. You're my toy. You know, you're Mm. someone I'm actually caring about, but I'm slutting you out. These days, how much do you talk to new partners ahead of time and how do you initiate it? So it's funny. Between my product, you know, the game and just different spaces, I find myself having sex conversations a lot more regularly with the average person. And it's also interesting. It's almost like a superpower now because I can be in a conversation and I can hear certain things, whether it's in their tone or their body language or what they actually say. And I'm like, oh, I know exactly what buttons to push. It's ah, so, amazing. I feel like I'm constantly, in a way, interviewing people for whether they're compatible for a sexual experience or not. Yeah. And then I like to play. So when I find someone that, even if I know that we're maybe not going to actually have a physical sexual encounter, I love to be able to like push the buttons and, oh, do you like this? Oh, I found this thing. What do you think? You know? So I'm constantly finding ways to initiate, and, and that's actually what I think keeps me at a normal. Awesome. Are you into sexting and nudes? Yes. Okay. Do you have a favorite sext or favorite nude, or how do you bring it up with people? I know that that makes it not a rapid-fire question, but I'm just also curious. <laughs> I've been into sexting and nudes forever. Okay. Since all the messengers, since MySpace. So, you know, I've been sexting since the chat rooms and the messengers and the toms and black planets and all that. So that's a way of life for me. Like, it doesn't even work without sexting. I feel like I sex normal people, not even intending to sex. I have to be careful about that, too. Outside of my new work, I'm very candid and upfront about wanting to show and see things. I don't just, like, drop dick pics. Yeah, great. (laughs) Not my style. Thank you for that. Everyone, just if you don't know yet, don't send unsolicited nudes. Just don't do it. I will drop a thirst trap on my page every once in a while. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Just to, uh, you know, a naked yoga shot or something just to see what strange responses I get. And then I know, you know, when you get certain responses on your comments, like, ooh, it's like you get 17 fire emojis. You're like, okay. (laughs) Hi, what's your name? (laughs) 
definitely as I become more familiar with people, I'm not shy about asking about, you know, what are you doing? What do you like to wear? What are you not wearing? What are you into? Once you know me, I'm like, I totally miss watching your net videos. Can you send me one, please? And thank you. Yeah. As I hear you say that, it sounds like you're engaging with them as full people, including the nude parts, but you're relating it to other parts of their life or experience and like highlighting if you have additional information. I really appreciate it when people do that. I think that's awesome. You know, the more information you have about people, you know, like I call my Capricorn friends. I'm, I'm a Capricorn. Like I call my Capricorn friends that I know anything about their sex life Capricorns. Do you get Capricorny? Oh, the horns are coming out today, I see, you know. Great. So I I try to relate to what people actually like and what they're going through. Do you watch Capra porn? I want to. I would love to make some. Okay. I've got a fantasy in my mind, throwing a Capra horn party and having all of the people, because we don't get to have, like, birthdays and shit, so. I know. Okay, so I think you could totally make Capra horn porn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very, very, very specific audience. Okay. Are you into porn? What porn do you like, if so? It's interesting because I have friends that work in porn now. Okay. Traditionally, I'm not a huge fan of regular porn. I do believe in the ethical porn and supporting like people that have their own situations going on. Yeah. Whether it's OnlyFans or they got their own production company or whatever. Yep. For me personally, I have a couple of favorites that I like. Like, sure, I, you know, I like female ejaculate. I like massage. I like you know, stuff like that, that if I'm going to go somewhere or on my Twitter feed or something, if I see that, I'm going to stop. But more often than not, I'm going to DM or message a friend or someone that I know and be like, hey, what are you doing over there? Send me something interesting to watch. I sort of like the interaction between, I call them sex friends. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any kinks that we haven't heard about yet? I think group play. That's my next question. Okay, group play. Is that threesomes or is it moresomes or is it sex parties or sex clubs or all of the above or something else? So I've noticed that I don't particularly like spaces where things are supposed to happen. So I'm not usually turned on when I go to a sex club. Okay. I don't know if it's the people in the club or if it's just the fact that I know I'm at a sex club or whatever type function. Usually that doesn't turn me on. Okay. But the idea, and that's also why I built the game the way I did. The idea of going to a party or going to an event, or like having a hangout with a group of friends, and things mysteriously wildly happen is like high on the list for me. So I like to try stuff. I mean, you asked me about interplay earlier. Like that's something that I found pleasurable. It's not necessarily a thing that I want every day, but it's something that like I would engage in interplay. Yeah. Pet play. I noticed like that's something that's fun. Probably being the pet owner, not necessarily the pet. Rope bondage. I actually enjoyed being the rope bunny. Mm. Yeah, I actually found that that was something that was very, very fun and sort of therapeutic in its own way. Because yeah. being the person that always has to do, being able to sit and have someone have that intention and do th- something to you is something that, that I really enjoy participating in. Yeah. It kind of just depends on who I'm with and what comes out in the sauce. Fuck yeah. Food play, I think. Mm. I did a photo shoot years ago that I think I'm going to revisit where I basically made a Sunday on a woman's cubic pound. I read a book by a brothel madam and she said one guy just loved to come in and eat ice cream sundaes off the girls. And I just thought that was so wonderful. So wait, did you eat it or did you just take a picture? 
I wish I would have ate it. <laughs> okay, so maybe in real life we could try it. That's why I said I think I'm going to revisit it. Apparently, it's National Dessert Month and National Kink Month. <gasps> so if things work out the way I want to, I think I'm going to do some photo shoots where I make some genitals into some dessert pieces. Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. I think it would definitely be fun to find some other willing participants that we want to play with. Make them dessert and eat it, too. Fuck yeah. Okay, what else are your sexual hopes for your future? I would love to be able to take my game like around the world. I haven't done like a proper tour yet. Not with training wheels as a facilitator, but as like the real me fucking it up. Like really take some people out. <laughs> I would love to have sex friends and playmates that are all over the world. So and all over the country. So you know, being able to like know that you can visit and have fun and have a relationship in the sense of like, you know, the person you have confidence with them and you, you can be comfortable with them. They understand the parameters of your life and know that this is vacation or this is this is the week that you're in town and enjoy that experience for what it is. Yeah. Is there anything else that we need to know about your sex life? My sex life is not perfect. It definitely has ups and downs and it is constantly evolving i don't want anyone that's listening to my voice to feel like i've just got it all figured out because it's always a moving target and there's always things that you don't know that you need to learn that you have to consider um, or that you will have to consider at some point so i'm thankful for the space i'm in i'm very comfortable for the space i'm in i'm definitely looking forward to growing and having more experiences but I know that I'm not fully developed yet. The, the cake ain't baked all the way. Yeah. If you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I would probably go back to my teenage self and let them know that I'm not wrong in what I'm doing and what I'm exploring, but I need to do more personal development and psychological development to understand relationships and to understand social boundaries mm. because i think to a degree i was very emotionally intelligent in a lot of ways but very socially ignorant in a lot of ways and because of maybe how some conversations were had it took a lot longer for me to receive that type of intelligence so I would say spend more time doing personal development and understanding it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to try shit and fuck it up, but make sure you really comprehend what the situation was and how to really grow from it so that you just don't find yourself in these social situations where you're here in headlights. That would probably be my biggest advice. Mm. Do you have a sex question for me? I have several. So you were saying that you know, and I've, I've listened to the show. So you, you talk about missing social cues and social awkwardness in your sex life and trying to learn how to be more confident in that. What for you is something that you feel would help you bring out more confidence in your play with partners? I think that this is one of the reasons that I'm so interested in developing my dominatrix character, Dante, because for me, the amount of time and energy that I've put into researching 
communication styles and techniques. I've spent the last year basically just deep diving on all kinds of human communication. And now I'm kind of moving on to conflict resolution and neuroscience and just how our brains work. And it is very funny because the more that I learn, I have noticed that I actually have more difficulty in the world because I think I'm like, "Ah, I have all this information and now I'm going to use it on people. And so I think the confidence part, I'm also taking a class on confidence with the amazing Kasha Urbaniak, who, for those of you who don't know her, she wrote the book Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power, and trained to be a Taoist nun for 17 years, funding it herself by being one of the top dominatrices in New York. So she's just like a super powerhouse. And so I've literally been thinking about this topic of confidence. And for myself, I think there has to be an element of, I have power, I'm okay with that. I think what happens with me sometimes is like, I'm a submissive. I couldn't possibly. And like the reality is like, yeah, I'm a kinky submissive, but also I love playing with bodies of all kinds. And it doesn't mean that I need someone to be in charge. And so I think the thing that I hope to kind of discover is like a bodily ease where I get better at sort of just like recognizing the cues that people are giving me or the secret signals without dismissing their agency or finding gentler ways to check in. You know, that's why I ask people so many specific example questions when they tell me kind of things that I'm like, but how do you say it? And so I'm actually collecting lots of these little cues. And then I'm hoping to basically build this character, learn from other doms, male and female and non-binary and all kinds. Like I'm just interviewing people and I'm kind of like reaching out to different sex workers to see who will let me kind of like study with them, even if it's short form stuff. Yeah, so I think I'm really excited to just kind of keep stumbling forward. And the thing that actually calms me down the most is just permission to be messy and say the stupid wrong thing sometimes and to like fuck up and not look sexy because I'm not always confident. And I think that's probably the number one thing that has made dating and sex difficult since this podcast started. People are like, oh, you talk about it all the time. I've listened to you. And like, I'm still like a nervous mess in a lot of my personal relationships. And I'm learning how sharing nervousness creates a tornado of nervousness where if I just notice my own anxiety in my body and just stay in connection with the other human, that's where magic happens. So I think if I can just keep focusing on those parts and the human connection and practicing the communication in ways that don't break the tension of the moment, because I think what I'm learning, these are like fresh thoughts. I think I am a tension breaker because I'll be like, but what do you mean? What's that? And so I'm like popping these little like beautiful bubbles of sexy tension, like almost like a little kid with bubbles in the air where I'm like. (laughs) So I think that there's also a slowing down and a listening that I could probably benefit from practicing. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. And if anyone out there listening has any ideas about how to get better at paying attention to animal bodies, I am wide open. (laughs) I do have an idea. I think you should definitely play the game for sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I tried to word everything in the deck so that it's a little funny. Uh-huh. Also gives you this moment where you have to read it and be like, what? Okay. And process it and then say, okay, yeah, we're going to do that. I think some of those social anxieties of what are we going to try or what are we going to do? It helps like sort of address those bubbles right up front. Gives you a chance to like remember that you're playing. It's a sexual play. It's, I understand that there's like a seriousness to you know certain dominant submissive spaces. And... I'm very playful. If I can't be silly, then I 
probably can't fuck someone because I snap back and forth really fast because like when I'm turned on, I'm like in it and I'm in the kind of classic sexy mode. But then like when my butt plug falls out, I laugh about it. Or like if a funny noise happens, I'll be like, hee hee hee. And then like I go right back to the blowjob that I'm giving or whatever. You know, like I love that play. Where can people find this game? You can find me at hedonismanddebauchery.com or respectfulplay.com. That's easier for people to remember. Love. You can also find us on Instagram. We have Etsy store. So I'm around and available. Hedonism and debauchery. Beautiful. Will you spell that for us? Yes. H-E-D-O-N-I-S-M and debauchery, which is D-E-B-A-U-C-H-E-R-Y. Beautiful. Sky, thank you so much for being on Sex Stories. Thank you so much for having me. It's been one of those things I've wanted to do for a long time, and I'm very happy to have the opportunity to hang out and get to know you a little bit.